Hi there, I'm Drew McKenna, and you're listening to Grafted Branches, a place where we can talk about Jesus in the context of where and when he lived in first century Israel. With me again is my wonderful and beautiful wife, Deborah. I want to add my welcome to all our listeners. Our podcast today is the third in a series on who the Pharisees were in the first century, and I must say that I have thoroughly enjoyed my own studies in this area. Like most of our listeners, I had no idea that there were two main schools of Pharisees during Jesus' time, the House of Hillel and the House of Shammai. So why do we need to know this? Because knowing the basics of what these two schools taught and that they often disagreed and hotly debated some subjects helps us to understand their encounters with Jesus. The biggest surprise is finding out Jesus didn't totally reject their traditions and teachings. Instead, he brilliantly builds on their thinking and debates, bringing them to a new level. In our last podcast, we got a chance to consider one of Jesus' encounter with some Pharisees. And they were questioning him on how and why he allowed his disciples to pick and eat grain on the Sabbath. We pointed out many of those encounters happened on the Sabbath, and some Pharisees questioned whether what he taught was legal or lawful to be done on a day that all work was to cease. Drew, today let's jump right into the subject. I think we're all starting to understand sometimes a situation can arise where two laws conflict with each other. As Jesus pointed out when challenged, the priests had to work by doing their duties in the temple on Sabbath, even though it was a day to cease all work, such as when the circumcision of a baby boy fell on the Sabbath, the law of, to circumcise took precedence. We discovered even before Jesus' time, the rabbis decided whenever there appears to be a conflict between laws, the weightier one took precedence. So how do you think our listeners would answer this question? What would be the most important or weightier commandment to consider when two of them seem to conflict? Well, I would hope they'd answer it this way. The instruction that helps others is the weightier. Although I'm sure some would say the one they think pleases God the most. So what is more important, pleasing God or helping others? This seems to be the heart of most of the encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees. Exactly. And this is why we need to cover a couple of very basic ideas to help our listeners understand the first century context of Jesus' teaching. The first and probably most important thing for us to understand is Jesus always takes his listeners back to God's instructions. But there's just one problem. They do not necessarily explain exactly how to live them out. For example, cease working on the last day of the week, Shabbat, Sabbath. While some things are spelled out very clearly, for the most part, it's up to the communities to decide what it means to cease work. And this is where the discussion and often arguments begin. Of course, the same thing happens today. There are many different interpretations of the Bible, and various doctrines are all vigorously debated 
or at least most of them are vigorously debated amongst Christians. Often these debates end up as very heated arguments with both sides digging their heels in. (laughs) People really haven't changed much in 2,000 years, have they? As we pointed out in our last podcast, the commandments given by God are a gift and not a burden. And like all gifts, it's up to the recipient to determine how they're going to and what they're going to do with it. Some of us use our gifts with great gusto, while others thank the giver and then just put them up on a shelf only to be looked at occasionally. You mean like the gift I gave you for your birthday last year? (laughs) Sorry, honey. (laughs) One of the things I've enjoyed learning about the Pharisee movement, and I hope we can convey this to our listeners, is they didn't just put God's gift of life on the shelf. The Pharisees were driven to figure how God wanted his instructions lived out. There was nothing too small or too big in life that God wasn't concerned about and gave direction for. You know, I agree, and this brings us up to the next point, the importance of life. Way back in the beginning, when God created everything, he put humans in charge of watching over his creation. I think most people imagine the Garden of Eden will, uh, was some sort of tropical paradise where all their needs are met, essentially an, an eternal vacation in a luxury spa without a worry <laughs> in the world. But you know, that's not what the Bible actually says. <laughs> no, it isn't. God instructed humanity to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it to rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything, living thing, that moves on the earth. Then God took Adam and put him into the garden and told him to cultivate it and keep it. These instructions to Adam and Eve and ultimately to all humanity are very clear. To work together, manage, and look over God's creation. The English word interpreted as keep has a much bigger and more expressive meaning when we look at it look at it from the Hebrew word that it comes from. Well, the Hebrew word is uh, shamar, and it's a verb meaning to watch over, preserve, protect, or guard. It has the sense of tending and exerting great care over a garden or a flock. This important Hebrew word is used throughout the Bible, and unfortunately, its depth is lost when it's simply translated into English as keep or observe. The meaning of this word became clearer for me when I thought of my own experience of caring for a garden where we live in Colorado. We have late frosts in the spring and early freezes in the fall. We have hail, hailstorms, droughts, hard soil, and grasshoppers. The deer, rabbits, and birds would rather eat what I planted than what naturally grows for them. It requires all of my gardening attention just for a few tomatoes and some petunias. Well, if it helps, the tomatoes do taste good. (laughs) Uh, You know, I kind of feel the creation account in Genesis is read way too quickly, and the instruction to keep or guard is missed. So why did God give Adam and Eve this commandment? Quote, Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Humanity's job then is to cultivate and watch over, as in guard and protect, everything, every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Literally, the instruction is kol chaya, all life. Guarding all life on the earth, that's a pretty ta- big task for just two people. But what's really interesting is the word translated into that moves means the smallest movement possible, even unperceived movement. Just think about who or what that applies to. Besides animals and insects, it applies to the unseen life which begins moving before anyone else is aware. You know, if you're speaking about the uh, moment of conception, you're right. Before the very first felt kick, human life begins to move just after the moment of conception. Don't you love the power of God's instructions? He does it in such few words. Now let's get back to the first century and how this emphasis over life is expressed. It's known as Bakuach Nefesh. In Hebrew, uh, it translates into English as guard over a living being, or more simply, the preservation of life. A Pakuach is a person who guards. He's an overseer of other people or the uh, other things that he's in charge of. Nefesh is the Hebrew word describing the whole person, excuse me, the whole of a person or creatures. It includes the body, mind, emotion, character, and inner parts. It's also often translated as soul into English. Nefesh is also a reference to life which is breathing, and it is not a reference to those who have breathed their last breath and passed into the next world. From the very beginning, God put humanity into the role of pakuach, guarding over and protecting life. The rabbis in the first century, and as well as today, by the way, see it in this way. There is no other instruction from God which would override protecting and saving a life. I like how Lois Tverberg, in her book, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, explains the principle of pekuach nefesh. She writes, The sages recognized the preeminent importance that the Torah placed on human life, far more than other law codes. And the Torah itself, in Deuteronomy 30, says that the law was given in order to bring life. Jewish thinkers concluded all laws, except for murder, idolatry, and sexual immorality, should be set aside to save a human life. You know, I like it. I like what she said there. Uh, I want to emphasize the whole idea of pekuach nefesh is everyone. Not just teachers, leaders, medical experts, rabbis, pastors, whoever. Everyone is responsible to preserve life. Even if by doing so, an instruction from God is violated. The rabbis teach if one is in doubt about a life or death situation and then decides to go ask for advice from their teacher, and then the person who they were concerned about dies while he does so, the one seeking excuse me, the one seeking advice is considered a murderer. And more importantly, the rabbi, the teacher of that person who is asked, is considered disgraceful because he should have taught his community, his disciples, the proper manner of action when dealing with Bakuach Nefesh. And that meaning is 
to take action without delay. The moral story is this. It is better to err on the side of violating Sabbath or Shabbat than to potentially put a life at risk. In our culture today, much of the video put on social media is taken by bystanders using their cell phones to video accidents, people being beaten, raped, robbed, or even drowning. Instead of offering or getting help, they video the incident so they can be the first to post it on their Twitter accounts. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could all fully grasp and internalize the principle of Pekuach Nefesh? Each of us are charged with protecting the lives of those we come in contact with. If we did that, how might, do you think we would live different? Excuse me. How might we live differently? Hmm. What, what might we do differently? That is a question each of us will have to answer. How can we even attempt to answer it if we've never been taught the whole idea of protecting others' lives? We may think of protecting our immediate family, but we live in a culture that is all about protecting self. And this brings us to the most important part of this podcast. How did Jesus teach the rabbinic principle of pukuach nefesh regarding excuse me, guarding and preserving the lives of others. Let's go to an encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, which is recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. The healing of the man with the withered hand from Luke chapter 6. All righty, here we go. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it. After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand was restored. Uh, but they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. So, what does this have to do with Pekuach Nefesh? Well, they were in the synagogue, it's the Sabbath, and Jesus is teaching. All of this is important to know because they were to do no work on this day. The focus is on what Jesus is about to teach. And I would like to encourage our listeners to see themselves in the story, watching and listening. What is happening in the synagogue that day? Yes, it's important to understand the whole point of this is for us to see and hear Jesus teaching. In fact, I think about the story, we tend to miss the fact that he was in the synagogue teaching. And this is a teaching. It was seemed the reason why the particular groups of scribes and Pharisees were there were to observe Jesus' teaching. Specifically, they were looking to see if he would violate traditional Sabbath regulations and encourage others to do so. I like to point out that the way the story is told to us it doesn't really take a brain surgeon to figure out why these scribes and Pharisees were there. By now, Jesus is becoming known as a teacher with authority, and he's a healer. 
So catching him healing on the Sabbath in an unlawful manner will certainly discredit him. The role of Jewish religious leaders was to interpret what it means to keep the Sabbath by not working. Through the years, the interpretation and the list of things which may violate the instruction to rest has grown quite long and very detailed. And while the act of healing a person may not seem to be a violation, the methods such as touching, applying medications, and other physical actions are. Yes, now, as we remember, there are two houses, Hillel and Shammai, and they often disagree on what was permitted on Sabbath regarding injuries, accidents, and illnesses. Such as going to a doctor on the Sabbath, unless a person's in imminent danger of dying, it was considered a violation of rest. Another way to put it simply is this. If it can wait till tomorrow, don't do it. Now, the school of Shammai was much more restrictive, tending to stick to a more literal interpretation of ceasing all work, whereas the school of Hillel was more lenient and compassionate regarding people in need. I would like to add a quick side note. Most of our English translations say the scribes and Pharisees were filled with rage when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. But actually, the word translated as rage in Greek can mean folly or lack of understanding or bewilderment. Using the word rage takes our attention away from what Jesus is teaching and instead focuses on the Pharisees, making them the object of our ridicule. You made a good point. The focus of this story is about prioritizing the laws for the Sabbath. The man with the withered hand was obviously not in danger of dying, and truthfully, He could wait until tomorrow, next week, or even next year. The idea of pakuach nefesh seemingly doesn't apply here. Or does it? If we only apply the idea of watching over other souls is only about imminent death, then no, it doesn't apply. What's happening here is Jesus is upping the bar, teaching that the principle of pakuach nefesh is much, much bigger. Jesus asks all his listeners, not just the scribes and the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it? Jesus is tying doing good and saving lives together. Doing good can be saving a life and harming someone can destroy their lives. Yes, some of the scribes and Pharisees may have had a very narrow and constrained idea of what it means to save a life. And here Jesus is broadening that meaning. Doing good to others can be compared to saving a life. Exactly. And in the case of a man with a withered hand, a person who has a crippling deformity would have difficulty providing for themselves and their family and often would have to rely on the goodness of others just to exist. This man could have been a Levite. In Leviticus 21, regarding the priests, we find they are not allowed to perform the task of presenting a food offering or coming near the altar of the temple if they had a deformed limb. Mm -hmm. Of course, we may have picked up on that possibility uh, that the man was a Levite if we knew our Old Testament. By restoring the hand of this man, his life is fully restored. And this is why doing good saves a life. Our listeners should notice Jesus doesn't touch 
or physically do anything to the man. All he does is look around the entire room of the synagogue. I like to think he looked right into each of their eyes and then turning to the man said, stretch out your hand. And the man did as he was told. Jesus didn't violate a law, tradition, or the smallest detail of not working on Sabbath. He only spoke to the man, and in doing so, he did what is good, ultimately saving a life. I'd say he both affirmed and expanded what it means to watch over the soul of others. It's amazing how Jesus took an idea and expanded it, showing how God actually intends for us to live with others. You know, on the last day of creation, God looked at everything he had made and said, it was very good. God gave Israel the Sabbath, not to bind them up with little detailed rules, but rather as a gift for them. Not only does the Sabbath help us to remember God created everything, it also reminds us how he looks over his creation and calls it very good. Doing good, especially on this day, is imitating God. No matter what day it is, we all need to be pakuach nefesh, a watcher over souls, and this means doing good to others. I wonder what would happen if we all intentionally spoke words of encouragement and looked for opportunities to do good to others every day. I think we too often put off helping others until a more convenient time, and then we forget about it altogether. Yes, being purposeful and proactive has the potential of saving another's life. I have some food for thought regarding the Pharisees that I would like to leave with our listeners. We've been talking about the two main schools of Pharisees, how often they disagreed contentiously over interpretations of God's word. Christians tend to point the finger at those people, calling them self-righteous hypocrites. And because of this, are we missing the lesson Jesus intends for us today? The Bible is filled with the lives of those who have gone before us. They are recorded for us to learn from, the good and the bad. But instead of learning from their mistakes, we repeat them. You know, I've learned from the beginning, people are people. We all share the same needs, wants, and desires. Temptations haven't changed down through the ages. Culture changes, modern convenience and and technology advances, but people are still people. Just like those who have gone before us, the struggle for positions of power and control is not limited to the secular. All too often, Christian communities suffer from the very same affliction. We are proud of our doctrinal positions and accomplishments, often looking down our noses at the churches just across the street. We vigorously argue and defend our doctrines in Bible translations, with it spilling over into public forums and blogs where the conversation is reduced to ridicule, sarcasm, and name-calling of those who disagree with us. We fail to even understand who might be reading or listening to these criticisms of other believers. Have we become the very thing we find fault in the Pharisees? I don't know about you, but I certainly would not want to have anything to do with a group of people who acted this way. So why would others be interested in following Jesus after reading or observing such things? 
What can we learn from these two groups of Pharisees whose heated debate spilled over into public view? Instead of pointing the finger at the Pharisees, we need to look at ourselves in our own Christian communities. I recently heard a very thought-provoking quote. Quote, A true scholar realizes the more he studies, the little he knows. However, with the help of arrogance, instead of being humbled by their knowledge, they feel superior. Our arrogance and the need to be right, like that particular group of scribes and Pharisees, keeps us from the heart of Pekuak Nefesh, humbly doing good and protecting the lives of those around us, especially in our own Christian communities. Deborah, you've given us all a lot to think about. The words of Jesus restored the life of a man, teaching us how to protect and bring life to others. Instead of destroying somebody through the need to be right, through our words, like some Pharisees, we need to look for opportunity to do good and protect life of others through Pekuach Nefesh. All it took was just a few simple words for one man's life to be changed. Watch over others, not only by doing good, but by watching over our own words. Thank you all for listening. Be a watcher of souls. We would like to invite you to join us for our next podcast as we continue to study Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees. As always, we will want to leave you with this. Get to know him, what he taught, and go out and live it. For more information on Jesus in his cultural context, visit our website, graftedbranches.org.